Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Man, I love seeing all of your faces. I've met some new faces this morning. Um, I was texting uh, Pastor Dan Smith. He is the pastor of New Life over in Madawan. And uh, Madawan, Madawan, whatever way you want to pronounce it. Um, but they are having their very first in-person service. And so I've been praying over him, encouraging him. And so as you're driving around the greater Kalamazoo area, make sure that when you drive by church, would you just honestly pray in that moment over those pastors, over the leadership, over those churches as they're making some tough decisions on when to meet, when not to meet, how to meet, and all of the things that are connected to that. But I'm proud of uh, just being friends of Dan and Kelsey. I think they're tremendous people. And uh, we're going to just pray over them in just a little bit and believe God's going to do some absolute miracles in this place. Um, this, uh, speaking of prayer, this Wednesday, uh, the, the board and I and the staff, and we're just inviting uh, just all of our, our spouses and all of us, uh, ourselves, ourselves as leaders together. And this Wednesday, it's from 6 to 6.30, um, we're going to be praying just over our church and over our community. And we would invite you that wherever you're at, if you're at home, uh, maybe go for a walk, um, you can turn your room into a, a, living, uh, to a prayer room. Um, wherever you're at, from 6 to 6.30, would you join us from your location? And we're just going to just pray over our community, over our church community, as well as our greater community, praying that we would simply be a house of miracles. That is our prayer, and we're just believing God's going to do a tremendous thing in the community. I don't believe COVID is going to have the last word. I don't think the election is going to have the last word. There's a lot of things that think they have the last word that don't have the last word because we believe Christ does. And that's what we're going to do is we're going to call upon the name of the Lord and we believe that the Lord is going to answer. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that today you would anoint our minds and our hearts today. And Lord, specifically, I pray over, uh, over Pastor Dan and Kelsey Smith, over New Life, over them re-meeting after so many months off, and I, God asked that there be such an anointing upon Dan, their worship team, upon all of their volunteers, that you would just do things that would just blow their minds today. Spirit of God, impact them, bless them, and utilize them to transform the community that we all get to be a part of. We are part of your kingdom. We're not here to build our empire. We're part of your kingdom. And so, Lord, bless them. Keep them. Let your face shine upon them and be gracious unto them. Turn your face toward new life and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, go over to Daniel 1. This is actually going to be, it's, this was supposed to be last week's message. Today's message was supposed to be a part of last week's message, and I went too long last week. So imagine if I were to preach the rest of it, uh, we would still be here. So, and we're not going to do that today, but we're going to dive into Daniel 1 in just a second um, in, a, in a message that I'm simply calling Noticeable Difference. If you need a title, just write down the words, noticeable difference. Um, handful of years ago, I got a call from a former youth leader of mine. He works for a really big corporation, and he's in sales. And he calls me up, and he says, Dave, um, my client backed out. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? He says, I'm supposed to take a couple clients to a basketball game, to a Pistons game. Do you want to go? And, I mean, normally... You know, I would just, just deny it um, because it's just, you know, that's a long way to drive. But at the same time, I get to spend time with him and get to go to a Pistons game. And honestly, whenever I go to a game, it seems that something peculiar happens. Um, like a friend took me into a baseball game and uh, Justin Verlander throws his first no-hitter. Um, went to another baseball game. We were free hot dog row. I mean, it's like I'm living my best life. Free hot dogs at the ballpark. It's amazing. Um, but when I went there... 
like a very famous moment happened that is absolutely drop dead hilarious. What is the moment? Have you ever seen an athlete or a politician or a celebrity try to give a high five and somebody misses it? Awkward high fives are the best. They are the best. And on that day, Reggie Jackson was trying to give a high five to Stan Van Gundy. And this is the moment. It is like one of my favorite moments. So take a look at this. <laughs> Hey, look, he's getting, he's getting dissed he won by the head coach. From the coach. Have you ever had that in church where you walk up to somebody, you're going to give an elbow, and nobody knows what to do with you? That's so I was there for that, but honestly, look at the video again, but look behind Reggie Jackson. Hey, look, he's getting, he's getting dissed. You want to high five from the coach. I'm like, Reggie, get out of my way. Now, when, now when Ryan called me, he's the guy sitting next to me. He's like, do you want to go? I'm like, oh, I don't know. He says, we're courtside. I'm like, oh, I'm there. I'm, in fact, this is a picture somebody sent me. But all of a sudden, I started getting pictures because every time there's a timeout, this is where the camera goes. And I started getting texts from people. Are you at the Pistons game? I'm like, of course I'm at the Pistons game. It was the best. I was trying to hand popcorn to the players. Um, there's like, the players would sit right in front of Cammy, and she's like, I'm trying to watch the game. And, all. and so we just had like the best time. I don't know who I'm waving to. I'm acting like I'm a celebrity in the moment. <laughs> I seriously don't even know who I'm waving to, but, um, but it was just this beautiful moment because you've got me, Cammy, and then you've got the bench which means we can hear every cuss word Sand Van Gundy is screaming at his players. It's like, Dad, he really has a problem. I'm like, well, we all do. So, but, so this was just one of our favorite moments. And so when we get in the car to come home from the Pistons game, and we're talking, I said, would you want to go to a Pistons game again? Because, quite frankly, when I said, who wants to go with me, nobody wanted to go but Cam. I'm like, we can have a great a great, you know, marriage moment. My wife's like, I don't need the Pistons. Um, Ethan, do you want to go? I don't want to go. Cam was like, I'll go, I'll go. And we go there, and we, we actually get to eat where, like, Eminem and Bob Seger and Thomas Hearns and uh, Kid Rock, which are the only four celebrities Detroit has. Um, we got to eat where they got to eat. It was, oh, it was just an amazing experience. And we were driving home. I said, would you want to go back? She says, yeah, but I can't sit anywhere else. I'm like, well, I'm not paying. We got those for free. I'm not paying. She, she goes, well, I can't sit anywhere else. That's my only experience, and therefore that's the only place that I can sit. I looked at our tickets. I, I think our tickets were like $1,000. Um, thank God a corporation paid because I wasn't paying that. Uh, not for the Pistons, for Pete's sake. I would, or any other Detroit team for that matter. Let's just be real. But we kept talking. She's like, Nope, nope, I won't go anywhere. I won't go unless I get to sit in those seats. There was just something about that moment where it's just kind of marked me a little bit, that conversation in the car with just laughing and talking about these amazing seats because once you have had that up-close experience, you don't want to have it from afar. For some reason, we have these up-close moments with Jesus, and then for some reason, we begin to serve him from afar. 
instead of living in this place where we are close to the action. Because I'm telling you, I have sat in the nosebleeds. One of my first dates ever, a girl wanted to go to Pistons game. I had somebody buy me the tickets. They bought me for the tickets for the top row of the Palace of Auburn Hills. We never went on another date again. I would have not gone on another date with me again after that. That was, once you're so close, you're like, this is how it's got to be. And when it comes to serving God, God has not designed us to walk in a relationship with him so that we can follow him from afar. I don't know anybody who's married who wants a relationship for which that we just keep a massive distance from each other and think that that's going to survive and that's going to be good. That the way that we actually make a noticeable difference in this world is not living afar from God, but living in a close proximity to him where we are close to the action. Not so that we can view what's going on, so we can feel a part of what he's doing. Because that's what I want in my life. That's what I want at K-First. That's what I want within us and through us is that we would never be far spectators, but right there, courtside, ready to interact and be a part of what God is doing right here, right now. He wants us in the front seats. He wants us leading from the front. Anybody can criticize from the top. I've criticized the Pistons. I'll tell you what I didn't want to do being that close was criticize anybody. You ever stand next to Greg Monroe? Stand next to Jim Horn over here after the service. You will understand what I'm talking about. It's, we've got to get to the place where we're living in this up close place. Last week, we got into Daniel chapter 1, and we talked about how there was this strategic, designed way to take these Hebrew boys, the, the best of the best of the Jewish people, and to take them and to do more than just pull them away from their own country. The goal was to indoctrinate them with a Babylonian culture. And the idea was this, is we are going to indoctrinate them into Babylon so that they begin to think like Babylonians. They begin to believe like Babylonians and they can begin to behave like Babylonians. The idea was, here is our empire and we want to take you out of your context and imprint upon you what we think you should do. Is this not the mirrored image of what the devil would love to do with his empire? Is to begin to imprint upon us how we should think, how we should behave, and what we should believe, to imprint on us a way of living. And he would love to use struggle. He wants to use tragedy. He wants to use um, things and difficulties, circumstances to do that. And I believe that's what we're dealing with today as we're going through this time of COVID, as we're going through times of separation, where the normal seems to be turned upside down, and we can sit and mourn over what things could have been, or we can begin to make some changes and begin to have a fresh new vision. Because if you look at the beginning of Daniel, it says from the very beginning in the first two verses that what seemed like normal was flipped upside down because the kingdom they thought would be normal. The, ki- the, the way things would flow they thought would be normal. Everything turned upside down. And so here Daniel and the rest of the, these amazing Jewish young men that were full of God could have sat back and complained about those first two verses. Look at what life has happened. Look at what should have been. But I'm here to give you a word this morning is that some of us are so busy serving what should have been instead of resting in the presence of God and living toward what could be. Some of us are just so busy playing the game. What should have been? What should my life have looked like? What should this decision have looked like? We could play the shoulda, woulda, coulda, but this is where we're not supposed to serve the Lord based on what could, what should happen. We live by faith, and when we trust in the Lord, we know what could happen. We know victory can happen. We know peace can happen. We know joy can happen. That may, we may have darkness for the night, but Scripture says joy comes in the morning. We serve by faith, and we trust in the one that says this can happen 
because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the place where we ought to live. But yet it's a place where most of us, and I'll throw myself underneath the bus here, that most of us are in a place that we don't want to admit it, but we're grieving. We are mourning the loss of normal. Mourning the loss of what used to be. If there's anything I can describe what pastors are dealing with right now, it's just living in the wake of, well, I want to do in-person service, but it's not going to look the same. I want to get back into church ministry. It doesn't feel the same. I'm going to, I want to get back into life. It doesn't look the same. And we live, we're living in the wake of actually, if we're really looking at the amount of anger we're seeing on social media, the amount of heartbreak, the amount of emotions where people don't even know what they feel any longer, I would challenge you to look up the process of grieving and then go on social media. And you're going to see that people are not, probably not as angry as they think they are. They're simply grieving what they have lost. And Daniel could have been in that place of grieving what could have been or should have been. But he began to believe in God and he began to practice the presence of God. And that's where we get to verse 8. Daniel 1 verse 8. But Daniel was determined to not defile himself by eating the food and wine given him them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission to not eat these unacceptable foods. We're going to stop right there because I think it's crazy that when I think about getting the best of the best food, I don't really deny food all that often. Unless it's raw tomatoes, you should deny raw tomatoes. Those are disgusting. Wow. Some of you tomato growers need Jesus. Goodness. Or coconut. Give up coconut. I'm going to make, create a lot of enemies today. Especially raw tomatoes. My wife, y'all give her those tomatoes from your, your gardens and she eats them in front of me, flaunting. How dis I can't even look at it. It's terrible. Daniel, he looks at something offered to him and on the surface it's like, why would he deny the food? Why is he stepping away? Because quite frankly, the deepest way to describe it was Daniel was practicing the presence of God. And when it comes up, when I think about practicing the presence of God, practicing the presence of God does not mean you go to church. And believe me, I want you to come to church. I'm glad all of you are here. I'm glad for those that are joining with us online. That's wonderful. But practicing the presence of God is more than just showing up to church. It's called being the church. It's about letting the Spirit of God uh, work in your life, being actively involved in pursuing God. It's seeking Him, depending upon, dwelling in His Word, learning about Him, letting the Spirit of God guide you. Because the goal of practicing the presence of God and the goal of being like a Daniel and saying, listen, I've got an opportunity here to live out the presence of God is getting to the place we practice it so that we can do what Daniel's doing so that we can make a stand. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul talks about putting on the, all, the, the, the armor of God. I love Ephesians chapter 6. It says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to do what? Stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Go to verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, you will be standing firm. The goal of being in the presence of God and practicing the presence of God is when you're faced with challenge and you're faced with a, a, a moment where it wants to compromise who you are, that we could be Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, that we could simply stand and to be who God wants us to be. And the goal in life is not to blend in. As a church, and when I say church, I'm not talking about four walls and mortar. I'm talking about you and I. The goal is not to blend in. If your life never stands out, it's very possible that you're always blending in. And our goal isn't to blend in. Our goal isn't just to look like everybody else. 
The goal isn't to act like everybody else. I've had people give excuses to me. Well, they, that person treated me that way. I don't care how somebody treated you. Man, the Spirit of God has not come in your life so that you can reciprocate what the world has done to you. The Spirit of God has come into your life to give you resurrecting power to represent Jesus to this world. So that we can take a stand. The word in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, be holy as I am holy. The word holy means to be set apart. There's something about our life that shouldn't blend in with the world that actually should be set apart from the rest of the world. And the, and, and the Bible will show you, God will speak to you that we have to have opportunities to stand out. Now granted, there are, the right, there are right ways to do it in the right timing. And there are the wrong ways to do things in the wrong timing. And that's all in the Spirit's guidance. But there is this moment where we get, Daniel is choosing in the midst of an empire, in the midst of a culture that was trying to indoctrinate him. To get him to believe what they wanted him to believe and do what they wanted him to do. In the midst of that, Daniel had to take a stand. And within Daniel's life, there needed to be what I'm calling a noticeable difference. Now, if you've ever read up in psychology, there is a term terminology that you may hear about, learn about, and it is actually shortened to J-N-D, uh, but it's called Just Noticeable Difference. So we're going to teach you a little psychology today and maybe help some of your marriages today. So I'll explain that in a second. So we have Just Noticeable, just noticeable Difference is the amount something must be changed in order for a difference to be noticeable, detectable at least half the time. So it's the idea that if to, to see a just noticeable difference, it has to be the minimum amount of difference that you actually take notice of something. You're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? I'm glad you've asked me that question. Go to the next slide. So the just noticeable dif difference is figured out by multiplying K times I, consistency, or your constant, times your intensity. What is constant and what is intense? So let's create a scenario that would never happen in anyone's homes here. Say you're watching the first Lions game. That happened to be today. Say you're watching a football game, and you've got the volume turned up to, say, number 40. All right, I've had my TV up to number 80, but we're not going to get into that. So we're just, we're just going to go to 40. So if you turn your volume up to 40 and say you're, hypothetically, your spouse comes in and says, that thing is so loud, would you please turn it down? I'm not saying this has ever happened to me or you. But spouse comes in and says, would you turn it down? Well, I go in and I turn it, not me, the person, turns it down to 38. She comes in and says... I ask you nicely, would you just turn it down? What is my reply? Of course I turned it down. How many, without hands, of how many of our marriages we've had this moment where someone said, turn it down, and you went one click or two clicks, and they walk in, and then their heads, nothing changed, and you completely disregarded their request. Anybody else? Just me? Okay. The reason why my wife couldn't tell the difference between 40 and 38 because it wasn't large enough for the J and D the just noticeable difference. So we're going to do a little bit of math today, which I know is going to test your faith in me because I'm terrible at math. But I checked it with other people. So what we do, what is the constant? The constant is the loudness. Loudness, the variable for loudness is 0.1. And if the power level of the TV is 40, and we multiplied that, survey says 40 times 0.4, excuse me, 0.1 is 4. That's right. Perfect. I had to check. So 
the just noticeable difference is 4, which means that if my volume is at 40, what number does it have to be for my wife to know the difference between what it was and what it is now? It is down to 36. Gotcha. What does that have to do with anything? The reason why we have a church that blends into the culture is because there's no noticeable difference in the way we act, live, respond, and sometimes even believe. And what the Lord is wanting to do in us is the Lord wants to take and make sure that we have a constant. There needs to be a constant in our life that is guiding our life. The the news outlets were not meant to be your constant. Social media was never meant to be your constant. Your political party was never meant to be your constant. Jesus was meant to be your true north. He is your constant. And if you want to see a noticeable difference in your life, then you need to take your constant and multiply it by your intensity. Multiply it by your passion. Multiply it by your surrender to him. Multiply it by your obedience to who he is. And when we begin to live in that place, my friends, that begins to show the noticeable difference in us from the culture of the world. That means that when opportunities come to hate, then when we see the noticeable difference, people should see something in us that doesn't look anything close to the world. When the world says you got to hate these people, when the world says you don't, shouldn't like these people, the world says you should do this. We don't measure our life by what they say. We say we want the noticeable difference that says who are we in Christ and then how do we live that out so that the world around us sees a notable difference between us and them. Not so we can say look at us, it's so that they can see the person of Jesus in our lives. Does that make sense? What are we, what is our constant And yet, what's our intensity? If Jesus is our constant, what type of intensity are we multiplying behind that? Because I don't know about you, I don't want a just notable uh, notable difference. I don't want just a slight difference. And the reason why I've named the title of my message this morning, I I got rid of the word just, is because I don't want a slight difference. I want people, if they don't see mercy in the world, I want them to see the epitome of mercy in my life. And I will admit that they don't always see that. They may not get grace over the social media airways, but if I can do it with the, I can do best I can do, let them see grace in my life. There has to be a noticeable difference. So how do we find this? How do we find this? Daniel says in verse 8, was determined to not defile himself. The word there in the New American Standard says that he made up his mind. He made up his mind. Daniel said, this is what the empire is offering. This is what the culture is offering. But I've already made up my mind with what I'm going to do. Daniel was going to give stewardship over his life. Listen, nobody should have stewardship over your life but Jesus. Nobody should have stewardship over your attitude like Jesus. Do people want to change your attitudes? Westnage will. Politicians will. We can go down the list. But so so many of us have given them stewardship over our lives instead of us taking stewardship. And Daniel, Daniel couldn't control what they called him because they tried giving him a new name. But he can control what he took in his life, whether through his mouth or through his heart or in his ears. And he said this in verse 8. He asked the chief of staff for permission to not eat unacceptable food. I love that he's a godly man and he still acted in an honorable way. He didn't go on social media and complain about the chief of staff. He just went to them. 
And now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded saying, I am afraid of the Lord my king who has ordered you to eat this food and wine. And if you've become pale, thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. That was a very true statement because the studies of Nebuchadnezzar were of beheading, destroying, throwing people to lion's dens. We'll get to that soon. And Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff. He delegated, the chief of staff delegated Daniel to the chief attendant, to the other attendant because he's like, if someone's going to get in trouble, it's not going to be me. And he says, look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And Daniel says, test us for 12 days. Test us. Watch us. You want a noticeable difference? Number one, your constant has to be Jesus. That has to be your constant. Don't let anything else be your constant. Let Jesus be your constant. And you have to multiply it by intensity. How do we develop that intensity? Number one, Write down these words, three words. Keep it 100. Keep it 100. What does that mean? It means be real. Keep it 100. Be real. But getting real about God begins with you getting real with God. You're not fooling God. Get real with God. Get real with who he is. Get real with what he's about. Get real with God. Stop trying to to play up something for the people around you. Stop stop trying to be an image that other people might like better. Stop trying to be an image, trying to fool yourself into something. Be real with God because he's already been real with you. In the person of Christ, he's revealed himself, revealed his love. So keep it 100 with God. Because I believe the more real that we can be with God, the more we're going to really see who God is. But the problem is, is we live in in an autocorrect world. Have you ever sent a text on accident that autocorrected at the last second? My mom asked me how vacation was going a couple years ago. And and the term that we used back in, in, in the day was when we got sunburned, it would say, I got baked. Baked, not the other baked that some of you know about. I'm talking about... Baked as far as I was sunburned, I remember, and I texted, and, she, and all it said was, uh, I got naked. And my <laughs> mom's like, wait, what? I'm like, autocorrect, 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 sorry, mom. And yeah, it was awkward. We, we didn't speak for years. <laughs> we live in an autocorrect world where everything in our life autocorrects toward our flesh. Autocorrects toward an opposite direction autocorrects toward what, the, what an empire would want, an empire of darkness desire. But I'm here to say that in, a, in an autocorrect world, I want to become a noticeable difference. So when it comes to showing mercy, I don't want to autocorrect my version of mercy. I want to autocorrect to his. In a world that doesn't know forgiveness, I, I want to make sure I'm autocorrecting toward God and not my own flesh, how I handle my politics, how I when it comes to offense, I want to make sure that I'm not camouflaged into the world. I want there to be that noticeable difference. Why? Because Jesus is my constant. And if I could be 100 with Jesus all the time, and I could be real with Jesus, then I could really see what Jesus is supposed to look like in the real me. Number, number two, predetermine your decisions. I just want to keep it so practical today. You want to get your intensity with that constant predetermine your decisions set the convictions of your heart I love that Daniel shows up to this he didn't fight back when it came to his name being taken do you know when he fought back when he was offered food to other gods that he thought would distort the name of God 
He didn't care about his own name as much as he cared about the name of God. And so the scripture says in New American Standard that Daniel already predetermined in his mind. He already made up his mind. He made decisions ahead of time. I've learned this. If you're going to stand out for God, there's some things in your life you've got to, st- you got to think ahead and pre-decide. I used to, when I was a youth pastor, I used to tell young, uh, young women, young uh, men, that if you want to keep your sexual purity, you have to pre-decide your sexual pur- purity. In other words, you don't wait till you're in the back seat with somebody and decide that this is a bad moment to have a conversation about boundaries. There are pre-decisions that you've got to make in your life. And for some of us, that we have let life happen to us way too often. Instead of pre-deciding how we're going to live, how we're going to act, and how we're going to respond. We've got to learn how to set our convictions. In fact, I'll say it this way. Convictions are about the choices we make before we are challenged. Faith is our ability to act on our convictions when the time of testing. Daniel didn't wait to the test to decide, to pre-decide how he was going to live. He had already decided that. So when the test showed up, Daniel knew how he was going to live. And so I sat back and I opened up my journal and started writing out down, what have I pre-decided? So I thought I'd share with you some of my pre-decisions. I predetermined that if I've heard a story, I probably haven't heard the whole story. I predetermined that my expressions of love will run as deep as my convictions. I predetermined to allow the Holy Spirit to shape my convictions instead of the opinions of others shaping them. I predetermined to learn from my, something from my mistakes instead of allowing my mistakes to destroy me. I predetermined to not linger long on my successes nor to, nor to live within my failures. I predetermined to not to argue out of anger on social media. Lord, help me with that one. I, I, I predetermined to not allow another's political stance to determine my level of love or kindness toward them. As an independent in politics, I'm predetermined to not paint all Republicans or Democrats with the same broad brush. I predetermined to not, when I meet someone of the opposite sex, I will not meet them unless I have full accountability. I'm predetermined that I will be a better listener than I am a talker. I predetermined that I will look for something to celebrate in people before I criticize them. I predetermined to make sure that my heart is in check before I ever lash out at anybody. I predetermined to believe in the best in someone before I walk in offense. Consequently, I've also predetermined that I will not take on somebody else's offenses. I predetermined that my integrity is worth more than my embarrassment. I've determined to ask someone's story about someone's story before I make any judgment. I predetermined that I will respond in mercy and compassion well before I act in any type of judgment. I predetermined to put my marriage before my kids and then put my family before my church. And I began to sit back and think about what is it that we could do better as people? We need better, if we want to have just noticeable differences, then we have to have convictions. But the only way to form convictions is not when the test happens. We form them beforehand because that's what really stands the weight of the test. We have the convictions so that we know how to live in the face of the tests. And what I love about this in Daniel 1, and I've got to wrap up. In Daniel 1, is Daniel asks and he is actually granted permission to not eat the king's food. And that may not seem like a big test until you begin to realize how many meals a day they had in that culture. Multiple meals. And this, just, this wasn't just a one-time event. This was multiple times a day. Oh, day after day after day after day. Why? 
Daniel wanted that noticeable difference that said, there is just going to be something different from me than everybody else, which leads me to the last thing, number three. Check your motivations. Check your motivations. Daniel, read through verses 12 through 14. Daniel responded in kindness. Daniel reached out and asked permission. And it said in verse 14, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestions and tested them for 10 days. He said, I, I know this is my conviction, but just watch me. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. But if it does work, then you're going to see the results of it. Three, watch your motivations. It's not about public show, ladies and gents. It's not about showing how good you are. It's showing how great Jesus is. You got to check your hearts. You got to check yourself. It's not about putting on a bold display. It's, excuse me, it's about a bold display, not a public show. Daniel honors authority. He creates a plan, and he begins to stand out in the right way. He could have been, honestly, Daniel could have been executed for denying the food. Or Daniel could have just simply blended in. But if Daniel would have done one or the other, he would have lost the opportunity to affect an empire that would transform that nation. And if you want to know a little key to the end of the story, we would actually see Christmas differently if Daniel did not do this. You're like, how does Christmas come up in this story? Because the group of people Daniel was working with was, they were called enchanters and magicians, or there's a short term for the word magicians. You know what the short term word is? Magi. When do we read about the Magi? Magi came from Babylon because they had read the words of a man who would stand in a noticeable difference and made such a transformative work there in Babylon that all of a sudden these Magi caught that somebody was coming. Daniel was speaking about something. So the prophets were speaking about something, and they went on a journey that we read about every single Christmas as the Magi traveled. I believe none of that would have happened if Daniel had not stepped up and said, God is my constant, and I have to live with an intensity that simply says, I'm going to be real with God. I'm going to predetermine how I'm going to live, and I'm going to do it with the right heart. Because when we have that type of intensity met with our constant then I truly believe this world will see a noticeable difference of Jesus in us. Bow your heads with me. I'm done yapping. I say this in the name of Jesus. Come alive. Come alive. Just come alive, Lord. To every soul in this room that feels empty, broken, and parched, I say, come alive. To every person in this room or watching in their homes that feels like they are just a valley of dry bones, like in the book of, of Ezekiel, I say, come alive. I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me just to say, and just keep bringing up that word parched. If you feel parched today in your soul, you're just feeling empty. You feel like maybe that your walk with God is a shell of what it used to be. Maybe you just feel dried out from the inside out. And I just speak the words, come alive. 
today we are going to realign our faith with that constant, that constant being Jesus. And what we're going to do is we are going to meet that constant with our intensity. We're going to get real with God. We're just going to get to the place where we're going to predetermine how we're going to act and how we're going to live. And we're going to do it with the right motivation because we're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to make a name for Jesus. We're here to make a name for the kingdom. We're here to make a name for the one that his name is above every other name. And so we simply say, come alive. Come alive. Come alive. For every person in this room, would you just stand to your feet? And would you maybe, I invite you to hold out your hands like this in a posture of prayer and a posture of worship. If you're at home today, I'd even challenge you in your home if you would stand and just hold your arms out in a posture of prayer. And let's close our eyes. And the worship team is going to take us back into the song. And my heart today is this. is Can we just, like a brand new day, like the first day we met Jesus, begin to get our constant. Come back to our true north. Get to this place where we center our lives on Jesus. And begin to get real with him all over again. And let Jesus begin to pour into us. Let his spirit pour into us. And begin to let him begin to shape our convictions begin to shape our lives so that when we're ready to take a stand that we do it not so that people can see how good we are we just want to see jesus lifted up because this i believe is the house of miracles so let's open up our voices let's open up our arms let's see god do miracles in this place today